from the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Good morning, JR. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Here we are at the tail end of Pastor Appreciation Month in October. Yes. And uh, I mean, October is awesome, as we both have talked before. So we we love this time of year. But uh, yeah, just as we end this month, we want to be able to talk about uh, something just for a couple of minutes. I'm just thinking through who are the people that shaped us and mentored us and voices that have been... Uh, that have left an indelible mark on us. So I'm curious, Doug, for you, who are some of those voices, either now or long ago, uh, mentors or voices who have really shaped you as a pastor? Uh, what a great question. Um, yeah, the first person always pops to my mind is Branson Roberts, uh, otherwise known as Yoda. Uh, we, uh, I was fortunate enough to work with Branson on staff at a church um, for about 10 years. And, uh, he was the person that taught me pastoral skills better than anyone else. Um, I remember the first hospital visit we went on and he, <laughs> we're driving out there and he, he is not a man of many words. And so we're driving out and he goes, don't say anything, just watch what I'm doing. And then we'll talk about it when we're done. Wow. Like, okay. So I go in, I watch, I take notes and we, on our drive back, he just said, well, what did you notice? And we just had this beautiful conversation about, just the way that he approaches hospital visits. And I remember that just being so profound. And it, I still, all every time I do a hospital visit, I think about Branson. Wow. Like, and that has just structured the way that I've done it. And how old were you uh, when that happened? I, I how was, into ministry? I was, I was a year, not even, I was nine months into ministry. I was nine months into ministry. And to think that you're still thinking about that when you go on hospital it's, visits. It's, yeah. And, but... So that's part of it. And I would say there was a gentleness about his soul that has just left such a deep impression. He's like a pastor's pastor. Wow. Um, I, the way that he was faithful to his calling. Uh, and it's like he took himself seriously, but not ser not too serious. There was this sense of what we do has deep value and importance, but there was also the sense of we need to have fun while we do it. Wow, great. Um, I'll never forget. And he was in his late 60s when I met him. And he was, you know, I was in seminary reading all these radically cool young books from all these wild thinkers about mission and different things like that. And he would read them with me. And the, mm -hmm. the way that he would dialogue with me, I just felt, <clears throat> I felt so honored because he entered into the world in which I was doing. And, and he said something that has also stuck with me because he, he, you know, Dr. Branson Roberts. And I remember asking him, so what's it like having your doctorate? And he, he looks at me, he goes, well, he said, it's probably the opposite of what you think. He said, I, uh, what I learned when I was getting my doctor is how much I actually don't know. And I just thought that was such a beautiful gift, um, to be reminded of just to be a constant learner. And that's what he modeled super well. Um, and I just think the way he, he, he looked at aging with such a, a beautiful grace about him and his wife, his wife had some pretty significant health struggles as well. And just, and she, it used to be opposite. She was the one after church who would be very invested in conversations and people and Branson would go hide in the office and now it sort of flipped in their later years. Um, but I just watched a guy who really loved Jesus, loved his family, and and was faithful to a calling, and it just deeply shaped me. More is caught than taught. Yes, yes. And you caught a lot from Branson. So much. And you, so over much. the years, you've talked a lot about Branson. You've given me resources that, you know, uh, Branson recommended to you, mm -hmm. and so in some ways, I feel indirectly impacted yes. by Branson as well. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah. Who else have been voices or mentors in your life? Uh, well, I mean, 
Yeah, I, I think two other people that I know pretty well, uh, Dave Sharps, and he said something that has just stuck with me since he said it, which I was probably about three years into ministry and my um, my family was really young. My son was just born and and we were doing life and I was very busy. And Dave said something. He said, I just want to let you know your family will be the only people from the church that go with you when you leave and you will leave one day and just invest your time into your family. And that, that, that phrase has just, it, it's almost like in that moment, someone took one of those wood etching burning tools oh, and what a etched great it image. into my soul. Wow. I was like, whoa, I need to invest in this parish. And he talked about family as first parish. Um, that, and then uh, as a very young youth pastor, uh, I went through a lot of turmoil uh, very quickly. Within the first year and a half of being in ministry, uh, three pastors fell to moral affairs. Mm. or to yeah, And it was just wild um, mm. how quick things deteriorated and how difficult that was and how that didn't even really show up in my soul until probably about eight years later, the damage that was caused in the midst of that. And it's so grateful to see how God has redeemed those stories and just done such a cool work in those. Um, but there was a guy who who came from Boston to this area and his name was Stretch, uh, Steve Dean. He's a, he's a pastor up in Boston again, but he just spent a lot of time with me, uh, talked with me, uh, allowed me to be really grumpy and angry and I think as a young pastor, there was a lot of deconstruction that was happening in my own soul. And he was a very non-anxious presence in that. And he kept pointing me back to Jesus, kept pointing me back to the scriptures. And I just appreciate the way he he was, he, he just has this love for the bride of Christ. And he he would let me say things, but he wouldn't let me run too far away, which was just really nice. And he was very consistent in checking in. So that was really, really helpful. I would say for people that I don't haven't met yet or have not had a chance to strike up a conversation with, uh, David Hansen, uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Pastoring. Fantastic book. It is the finest book uh, that I've read. And I've uh, you actually gave me a copy Oh, is that right? Yeah. I didn't remember this. Yeah. You gave huh. it, you gave me a copy a few years ago um, for Christmas. Uh, Secret Santa, no, Secret Santa. <laughs> but, sorry, I don't remember the Christmas gifts I'm giving you, Doug. <laughs> How dare you? Um, it is a great sir. book, though. So. Oh my goodness! But I, I think on multiple levels. Number one, as a as a person who really loves to fly fish, I just I re- deeply resonated with a lot of his metaphors, and also just. There's just a grace that there's a grace about the way he writes and about, yeah, he takes it seriously, but there's also this sense of, of don't let it become your identity. Mm. And so I just really appreciated, um, this, what, what he wrote in that book. And that's something I've revisited year after year. And, uh, whenever I meet someone who is a pastor, I always ask them, have you read the book? And if they haven't, I buy it for them because you need to read this book. It's so important. Yeah. How about you, JR? Yeah, I always say I'm in ministry because of three people. First is my dad, just really grateful for my dad. He's He was not a pastor. He worked for General Electric in business for 30 years, and now he works for a church. Um, my brother's a, a pastor as well, but my dad was the 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 last of the three of us to join staff at a, on a church, on a, be on a church staff. But his influence and just leadership and caring about the Lord. I've watched that as a young kid. Um, my first youth pastor, uh, middle school and, and into early high school is someone by the name of Randy Drawn. And uh, Randy just showed me that you could have a passionate faith and follow Jesus and not be weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that age, that was incredibly helpful for me to see. And uh, Randy is uh, now a pastor of a large church in Nashville, 
Um, he went there and planted a church, and the Lord used it and continues to use it in, ma- in great ways. And so, if you're a pastor in Nashville, I'm you know most people know who Randy Drawn is, but he was so open and and helpful in helping me see that following Jesus. I, I don't remember him using the D word discipleship a lot, but everything he did was about discipleship. And uh, I went on mission trips with him, and, and then he left and took a call down in South Florida, and uh, a new youth pastor came by the name of Mark Kuiper. And uh, Mark uh, is a fantastic guy and continued that discipleship uh, process and just learned a great deal. In fact, my senior year, every morning I'd go over to his house at like 6.30 and lift with him in his basement. And I just remember his willingness to open his home when the kids were asleep, his wife was asleep, to just lift in his basement because he wanted to invest in me. Um, And I'm so grateful for that. And uh, so... He continues to remain a, a a pastor, and he's a church planner still. He's planted a few different churches, and he's doing great. So really grateful for for them. And I think too, you know, I went to Taylor University, was a Bible and Christian education double major, and my Christian ed professors, my Bible professors too, but my Christian ed professors really helped me understand how are people formed in the way of Jesus? How do people learn? How do you communicate in a way that people connect? Uh, how do you create curriculum? How do you... So it was It was really... I, I think about that a lot, even as I write and develop Bible studies or do trainings. I'm still thinking more than half my lifetime ago about some things I learned in the classroom and in their office and in the hallway. I mean, it was just really impactful. So I'm really grateful for my professors, Dr. Faye Chekovich and uh, Dr. Phil Collins. No, not that guy, not the singer for for Genesis, although he taught Genesis. And uh, (laughs) uh, Dr. Bob Lay. Um, So really grateful for the way they influenced me and in many ways still do. So I'm grateful for that. year anniversary anniversary of Eugene Peterson's death and that uh what what an what an extraordinary man and I know that you uh have had the blessing of actually knowing Eugene not just through writing like many of us have but but personally yeah yeah I um it's hard to believe he's been gone a year I I miss him I I say that to my wife on occasion, probably every couple months, just saying, man, I really miss Eugene. There are a couple of times where I'll sit down and think, yeah, I should write Eugene a, oh, he's not here. So sometimes that that does cross my mind. But yeah, I would say that few people have marked me as a, as a pastor more. I mean, earlier we mentioned that my youth pastors and my dad and professors, but nobody has marked my calling more specifically in the pastoral role than Eugene Peterson. And so um, just kind of like Forrest Gump, just feeling like I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> just no work of my own of meeting Eugene and then staying in touch um, for, you know, I don't know, 15 years, 13 years, some, some, somewhere in there. Uh, it was pretty amazing. So um, deeply grateful for him. And, and uh, even though he's gone, his ministry continues. It does. And I actually think for the, We'll, we'll be reading Eugene's works for probably uh, 50 years from now. And there are not many authors we can say that where we'll be reading their things 
50 years from now, but he's, he's one of those that I really believe we will. So how did you guys meet? What was that like? So uh, right out of college, Megan and I worked for Nav Press, the Navigators Publishing Company in Colorado Springs. So we graduated, we got married, and literally a week after we uh, we graduated our honeymoon, we drove out with all of our stuff, moved into a real tiny apartment, and started working for Nav Press. And Nav Press is a small to medium sized publishing company, but they had published early. Uh, in editions and small portions of the message translation. And it just so happened that when we were there, we got there um, right after 9-11, actually. I think it was just a couple weeks after 9-11 had happened, um, that it was in that next year or so that the full message Bible was coming out and being released. And I had read Eugene's pastoral books. Most people I worked with who weren't pastors or weren't thinking about going into ministry had only heard about and enjoyed the message, which is great. But I loved all the pastoral books and the message was great too, but um, I, I just, it was shaping me already knowing I wanted to be a pastor. So um, an email went out saying that Eugene has finished the full Bible. We want to have a party. He's been working on this for a decade of his life. So we want to thank him. So there was this big thank you party that um, was being planned. And they said, if you'd like to help be a part of planning that or brainstorming that, come to bring your you know, your, your lunch It's a brown bag optional meeting in this, you know, room on this day. And so I showed up and thinking there would be dozens and dozens of people. <laughs> it was me and two very, uh, quiet as a mouse editors. Oh, no. And these ladies, <laughs> one of the ladies was tasked to run it, but she didn't want to be running it. She was just wanting to run the details. And so she welcomes the three of us, you know, we're sitting there and and she said, first thing on the agenda is who's going to be the MC? And those two ladies, <laughs> they jerked their head and darted the look my direction. And uh, I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. Now, at the time, I'm at this point, I'm 24 years old. Right. So they said, okay, Jer, you're, you're, uh, you're going to be the MC for the, uh, the message full Bible release party. <laughs> and I went, oh my gosh, how did I end up in this? And so I, for, for months, just studied and researched and made sure I understood what I was doing and getting myself <laughs> into. And uh, in fact, one of the most famous fans of the message is Bono from U2. And so he couldn't be there at the event though he wanted to, but he created a video uh, thank you message. And so my responsibility was to say, Eugene, there's somebody who wanted to be here who couldn't be here. And um, please look at the screen. It's Bono from U2. So it was really kind of cool to introduce Bono at 24 years old to this message for Eugene. But afterwards, I went up to him and he thanked me for the role that I played. And I said, Eugene, it's nice to meet you officially. And uh, I just want you to know, I just love your books and I've got many questions. And he pulled out a piece of paper and he scribbled down on a scratch sheet of paper, his address. And he said, if you write me a letter, I promise you I always write back. Mm -hmm. And I thought, maybe not every time, but maybe, maybe I'll get one letter back. So I wrote him a letter and uh, just said, thank you again for your opportunity, the opportunity to write you and for you to answer a couple of questions. And, um, at, at the bottom, again, he said, if you write me, I always write you back. And so I always took him up at his word. And I will say, until he died, every time I wrote him, he always wrote me back. And every time I got a letter in the mail, it was like Christmas Day. I mean, it was just this present. And I would read it and reread it and reread it and reread it. And um, so it was just unbelievable. He didn't have email intentionally because he wanted to be thoughtful. And so it meant typing up a, a letter Printing it out, 
putting a stamp on it, mailing it. I mean, it's this archaic form, right? Um, and then two or three weeks later, I'd receive something back in the mail. And so that's how we became pen pal friends. And he was so kind and patient with some of my questions. And I've got all my letters here in the file in front of me. And I, I just think, man, he was so patient with me with some of the dumb questions I was asking when I was just trying to figure out what is ministry? How do I do this? Um, and uh, so it's been really fun the last few weeks of just flipping through this big file of letters of what I asked and then what he responded with. And then after a while, he said, uh, um, uh, you know, he called me and he said, uh, well, we've been doing this writing pen pal thing. Why don't you just come out to Montana and spend a couple of days with Jan and me and we'll just we can do this in person. And I was just about dropped. I just about dropped the phone. And uh, so we agreed on a date and I flew out. I think it was May or June um, and I flew out to Flathead Lake in Montana. And um, he picked me up at the airport. Um, I can still picture him with his like flannel and his like his vest and and his jeans and tennis shoes and <laughs> picked me up and drove me back. And, uh, you know, he's he has a really raspy voice. Uh, it sounds like he's a smoker, but he just had these benign nodes on his vocal cords that just made him sound like he was a smoker. But I remember that he would, uh, he would, he took my bags. I said, no, Eugene, I can grab my bags. And, and he said, no, no, I've got it. And so he took me up the stairs and he said, you'll be sleeping in here. This is the room where my dad died. And I was like, wow. Okay. That was just a really startling way to have him bring me to the guest room. And, uh, but, oh my gosh, just uh, sitting on his back porch and, uh, yeah, it was just an unbelievable time. When we were there, the UPS truck showed up and brought this big box. And inside the box were all the edits, the final edits for his book, The Pastor, Ooh. which was awesome to see him open that. And he was kind of excited to, kind of near the end of this. And uh, he said, uh, JR, I, I've got to do some things in my study for a few minutes. Um, I'd like you to read the final chapter. Here's a pen. And I want you to edit this. I said, no, Eugene, I'm not going to edit <laughs> your book. And uh, I said, I have nothing to offer. In fact, anything I, I you should be editing my stuff. And uh, he said, no, no, he insisted. And he put the pen in my hand and he said, I'll be back in about an hour. And, and I don't even know if any edits came about, but he came back and really wanted to know. And I said, hey, Eugene, I just said a couple of small things. And he said, no, 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 tell me more. I want to know more. And, and I said, well, this story's good, but I, I, I think you need to expound upon it. It's a little confusing. I think there's some details here. Anyway, it was just like, what am I doing? This is so <laughs> surreal and wrong. I'm in, to a, be. I'm in a room where dad died. I'm <laughs> sitting on a back porch. With you but I'll tell you, Man. Eugene was great. And then he told us, you know, I mean, Bono considered Eugene his pastor. And so just what was that like? And, and, um, and he said, you know, he's just a person, you know, I mean, which made him all the more uh, a great pastor for Bono because he saw Bono as Paul Hewson who maybe Bono's mother and Eugene are the only people to see him as someone other than Bono. And, um, and so, uh, you know, he just kind of shoulder shrugged. He wasn't impressed, you know, he just, yeah, he's, you know, he needs Jesus like we all do. And, and yet his wife, Jan, who was amazing, uh, so hospitable, she is a firecracker. She is so spunky. She was like, Oh, let me tell you, Bono kissed my cheek and I promise I'd never wash my face again. And, uh, so it's just amazing sort of, uh, this gregarious bubbly outgoing and Eugene being this quiet and 
reflective uh, person who only spoke when he had really thoughtful things to say. So, but we just had a great time together. And, uh, and then the letters continued long after that. And, uh, so grateful. In fact, Eugene was even kind enough to write a a letter to our congregation when we were first starting, which was amazing. We were just about two months in just with our launch team. And I asked him, I said, you obviously can't come out in his age. He wasn't traveling as much, but I said, would you be willing to write a letter just like Paul would write a letter to a congregation and be read? Would you be willing to write our new church plant, uh, a letter. And he did. And, and it just is amazing. So, uh, anyway, I'm so grateful for him. And so we, yeah, I'm talking a lot, but I, I, no, I, 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 well, I think it'd be really good for you to read the letter because I feel like there's something there that's just so beautiful. And, and I mean, for me, I know how important that relationship was, but even how, how important that Eugene has been for Renew, for our church. Yeah, that, yeah. And yeah, so I think it'd be great if you read the letter. Yeah, great. Sure. I'd love to. So this is dated August 18th, 2018, which is interesting. August 18th is not only my wife's birthday, but also my spiritual birthday, the day when I was six that I became a follower of Jesus. Wow. So it's kind of cool. Uh, but it says, Dear JR, Megan, and the Gathering Congregation of Renew. And it looks like you have landed, you and Megan, with your new allies on your feet, starting a new church with people whose names you know and whose stories you are getting to know. Have we talked about pastoral and congregational language before? I have a strong conviction that one of the primary responsibilities of the pastor is to use language that is appropriate to living the gospel relationally on the ground, locally, in a place with the people you are living and working with. Pardon me if I'm repeating myself. But the most conspicuous way in which the gospel is communicated is by preaching, kerygma, and teaching, didache, two Greek words. They are essential, but pastor and congregation train one another in using a much more relational and personal, informal and unstudied language as we work with people primarily not to proclaim or teach them about God, but to get it into their everyday, around the house, around the workplace lives. I call this language paracletic, paracletic, from paraclete, the Holy Spirit. It gets its content from the preaching and teaching, but it gets its tone and syntax from this local and relational setting and encounter. This is the language of conversation, not telling people the truth of God and not explaining the things of God, but letting those languages be translated into the vernacular of our ordinary lives when we are not preaching and not teaching which is the way we use language most of the time and most naturally. And the only way you can do this is with people whose names you know and whose stories you know. This is what is unique about the pastoral vocation. And this is the great opportunity of a newly developing church. You can preach from the pulpit and teach from the lectern, but when you walk out into the church parking lot or stand in the checkout line at Walmart, you are using the language of the word made flesh in the places where people spend most of their time, where you spend most of your time. And now you are forming a congregation where that conversational gospel language is possible. And I am so glad for you. Your plans for a slow development sound realistic. Her unhurried time to listen and reflect, and as you say, to unlearn the destructive patterns of consumer-driven church. The peace of our Lord, Eugene. Get 
goosebumps even as I read this you know, more than 11 years later. So grateful for that. I think what's so powerful too is to realize how those words of everyday life, uh, and I think he said, as you look back, that we would be able to get God into our everyday life. Yeah. I think that was the phrase that he used, but realizing whether that was fully always intentional in the radar or not, that's what I feel like I would, how I would talk about the people who we, who we've served together at Renew over the years. It's just, there's this normalness of Jesus shows up in those really random spaces. Mm, mm. But yeah. So out of the other, out of all the letter, I mean, you have a, huge folder here of letters. Yeah, yeah, there's just too much to go through. <laughs> which which letter for you just really represents um yeah, just like just Eugene and 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 how you've been impacted by him. I mean, I know there's so many. It's probably it's probably like picking your favorite child. Yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite letter because each one was a response to questions I had. So at the time, each one felt my favorite because they were the most burning questions that I had. So sometimes it was soul care. How do I take care of my soul when, you know, I've got, you know, so maybe it's more by topic, right? So soul care or advice on church planting, um, you know, we talked about uh, the most common failing in new church pastors is overworking. Uh, was one that he he spoke about a lot. Um, how to receive criticism? <laughs> um, what do you do when you're um, criticized? His legacy? How did he want to be remembered? Uh, why he always signed the uh, the peace of our Lord as his like sign off, like sincerely, Eugene. It was always the peace of our Lord, Eugene. And uh, so I asked him why, because uh, I hadn't seen anybody do that. Um, yeah, some other topics here, non-negotiables of church planning, temptations that come in ministry. Uh, let's see what else here. Mentors, who are his mentors, um, which was interesting and not the answer I thought he'd give. <laughs> was it Bono? <laughs> um, no. No, in fact, let me just read that yeah. one. Um, I, I asked him, who are your mentors or, or shaped you, just as we talked at the top of this podcast episode. Um he said, to be, to be quite honest, JR, I am wary of virtually the entire church culture around me, but I needed someone, so I picked an older man, a pastor of an inner city church, who I only knew from a distance, named Ian Wilson. He was a respected preacher, a Scot, who was one of the first translators of Bart. I don't remember now what the circumstances were, more of a hunch than anything, but I called him up and told him that I was starting this new church and felt I needed some help. Could I come and see you every week for prayer and conversation? He agreed. I didn't have an agenda. I just knew I needed someone. So I went every Tuesday. It was about an hour's drive into Baltimore. We went into the chapel. He sat on one side near the wall. He motioned me to sit to the other side near the wall, as far apart as we could get. And he had this Scottish prayer book and prayed prayers aloud for 20 minutes. I sat on my side in prayer, but silent. Remember at that time, I, had just, I was just recently Pentecostal. It was, this wasn't what I was accustomed to in prayer. Then after 20 minutes, he stood up and said, Eugene, let's have a cup of coffee. And we went across the street to a diner and talked about whatever was going on in his and my life. We ne he never asked me about my soul, never probed. I gradually realized that fierce Bardian as he was, and he distrusted the emotions and premature intimacies with the passion. But we did that every week for two years. And then he was called to be a professor at a seminary and left. It was not what I expected, but it turned out to be exactly what I needed. 
In the pressure of imposed expectations from people all around me, he imposed nothing but simply provided time to be in prayer and in non-directed conversation. And in a competitive world in which I was living on adrenaline, he gave me unhurried breathing space to simply be a pastor. After the two years I was cured, cured of measuring my worth through the screen of expectations and cured of my addiction to evangelical adrenaline and competition. So not quite what I was thinking in terms of that response, but really helpful. Really, really helpful. Wow. (laughs) So there was a lot of times I felt that of just going, uh, oh, here's the question. I'm sure he's going to answer something brilliantly this way. And he would totally turn the question in a new direction and kind of kindly say, you need a new paradigm here. And even the questions you're asking, JR, which was fascinating. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was just a... Yeah, because, well, I think it's so interesting. You're asking about mentor and he's talking about unhurried space. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like not with without agenda, of, but just <laughs> showing up to be present with another person. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Ian Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? So anyway, there's just, yeah, so many here. Even just... Uh, as he talked about preparing to die, because I, I, this was less a letter, but after the, the pastor book, you know, and I, I said, oh, Eugene, you know, what's next? He's like, well, this is my last book. Now it wasn't, but in his mind, he thought it would be his last book. And I said, well, what are you going to do now? And he said, uh, I'll never forget this. Um, he said, um, I'm, I'm trying to die well. I'm preparing to die well. And I, I said, well, what does that look like? And he said, I, it means I do the laundry for the first time in my life. Mm. Jan's always done it. And it means I care for my kids and my grandchildren. And I just continue to try to make sure I'm fully present to the Lord. I was not ready for that. We were making oatmeal in his kitchen and... <laughs> He just says, yeah, I'm preparing to die well. I just want to die well. And uh, so when news reached me that he had died, that's the first thing that came into my mind was Eugene prepared to die well. That's why he died well, because he had spent time preparing to do that. So just, uh, yeah, so grateful for him. And uh, uh, it it killed me that I couldn't fly out to be at the funeral. Uh, Thought about it long and hard, but was able to watch it live stream. and. just wept my way through it. Um, some sadness and closure, but more out of just such deep gratitude. How do you thank somebody for being the greatest influence on your pastoral life? <laughs> it's hard to do. And, um, and all because he ripped off a little piece of paper with his address and said, if you write me, I will always write you back. And um, so, yeah, just so deeply grateful for that. And and again, I met him. It's weird because he became a mentor, but I also was on the sales team. So my job was selling the message to people, which, you know, is important and needed, but came with its own weird sort of, how do I be a salesperson for God's word written by my mentor or translated by my mentor? So, you know, he took a lot of heat for that. I mean, there were death threats on his life. Um, people say, you're messing with God's word. How, how dare you? And, um, but the man could read Greek and Hebrew aloud into English faster than I can read aloud from my English Bible. Um, I mean, he was brilliant. Um, and so he just, yeah, it's it just even the story of how the message came about is, is just fascinating. But, um, but these letters, I, I even wrote him, or I called him one day and I just said, you know what? I've got an idea. 
what if we worked on a book together called Letters to a Young Pastor? And I said, we've got so much material already. We just go through and kind of tweak and clean up um, you know, what, what's been written here and basically publish our interactions because I, I know people would benefit from what I've benefited from. And we just sort of share that with others. And he said, no. And he said, no, for two reasons. And I was like, what? Come on, man. <laughs> um, the first one uh, he said was, uh, which is so Eugene, uh, would anybody, I don't know if anybody would want to read that. Like, I don't think any, there's a market out there for people. To, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Are you? Uh, yes. Yes, there would be. Dude, uh, pastors are like Harry Potter <laughs> fanboys when a new Eugene book comes out. I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> so that was the first oh. thing he said. I just, uh, would anybody read that? I just don't think anybody would read that. I'm like, yes, Eugene yeah. maybe would read it. Probably. Um, and so first time we kind of like, you know, sighing a little bit of like, oh, really? Okay. But his second answer was so meaningful. And he said... Jared, I, I just don't want our relationship to be compromised. What you and I have shared together, I've only had with the audience of thinking it was you. Um, and I, I never want to write you letters in the future thinking, oh, maybe this can be the contents to our, to our book. And he said, I just don't want to jeopardize our relationship that way. And I just, okay, wow, I'm honored. Okay, no problem. I get it. And uh, so uh, still I walked away a little disappointed, but also feeling like, wow, um, here's a guy who like doesn't need to show me value and honor like this, but chooses to do that in a way that I wasn't even thinking. And, um, but, but I know there are others. I'm not the only one that visited him. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of pastors. I'm not the only one that he had a pen pal relationship with dozens and dozens well, of yeah. others. I mean, Tom was and, telling uh, us that about yes. the pen pal situation that he had. Absolutely. Well. And Tom yeah. went out. Tom and Lolly probably were hmm. staying in the same bedroom where his dad died. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, and many others. I mean, I have other friends that did that and would say the same thing and have letters as well. And uh, so for that, I'm, I'm uh, really grateful because he... Uh, allowed people to come to him rather than him always feeling like he had to go to them. And uh, so, uh, but just amazing. I mean, even last year with his funeral, I happened to be preaching the next morning in Bel Air, Maryland, which is where his church was, Christ our King Presbyterian, and had the opportunity then on Sunday morning, I said, how cool would it be the day after his funeral to actually go to the church that he planted? And I had to preach elsewhere, so I just wanted to visit real quick, snap a picture, uh, spend a little time in, in quiet reflection, and leave. And I walked in, and all the lights were on, the heat was on, the candles were lit, no one was around, not a soul. So I had the sanctuary, and just to be able to get up and get behind the pulpit and just kind of see, this is where Eugene cut his teeth on pastoral ministry. These are the sermons that he preached uh, from here. Um, not in a, like, we're going to make him a hero, like on some pedestal, but of just trying to understand him a little bit more the day after his funeral was pretty moving to be at his church and, and at his pulpit and to have the place to myself, not like, who, who are you? What are you doing here? Well, you know, I'm just with, a sacred space. I'm the HVAC so. guy. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> so it was, but he, he just helped just what we're trying to do on this podcast here, um, lower the voices of a culture that says it's about competition and celebrity and consumerism. He helped me lower that voice while raising 
the voice and the volume over here that there's a different way to do ministry. And it's not new and innovative and cutting edge. It's the opposite. It's the way it's always intended to be. Mm. And it was a reclaiming of what pastoral ministry is. In fact, there's a quote you and I love. In fact, I know you've got it in front of you of something that if if there's a favorite quote of mine, besides quoting, you know, uh, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 in the message, Romans 12, one and two in the message, John 1, 14 in the message. Those are like kind of my go-to message ones that I love that he translated. But as far as an actual quote in his book, um, yeah, go ahead and read that because it's yeah. amazing. And what I love about this quote is this is actually uh, when J.R. handed me the job description to be the pastor at Renew, this was written on the, this, this is what it begins with. And this from Working the Angles. Uh, the pastors of America have metamorphosed, metamorphosed into a company of shopkeepers. And the shops they keep are churches. They're preoccupied with shopkeepers' concerns how to keep the customers happy, how to lure customers away from competitors down the street, how to package the goods so that the customers will lay out more money. Some of them are very good shopkeepers. They attract a lot of customers, pull in great sums of money, develop splendid reputations, yet it is still shopkeeping. Religious shopkeeping, to be sure, but shopkeeping all the same. The marketing strategies of the fast food franchise occupy the waking minds of these entrepreneurs. While asleep, they dream of the kind of success that will get them attention of journalists. The biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them, does his work in them. In these communities of sinners, one of the sinners is called pastor and is given a designated responsibility in the community. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. It is this responsibility that is being abandoned in spades. Yeah, that last paragraph might shape me more than almost anything written by Eugene. I mean, how about that for a zinger line? The biblical fact is there are no successful churches. You're like, what? (laughs) But that idea that we're all sinners, including pastors, um, and the designated responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. Like, that's what we do. When life gets complicated, when ministry gets complicated, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? There's a thousand plates and meetings and people and initiatives and projects at the church. I go, no, whoa, 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 whoa. What did Eugene say? Oh, yeah. It's just to help people be attentive to God. So, and another another place in an email or a letter he wrote me, he said, help people pay attention to God and respond appropriately. And I use those phrases all the time. I mean, they're baked into the DNA of who you and I are mm-hmm. and, and uh, the, the church. We say that a lot. We've said that through the years. And uh, so, man, that's, that's a zinger. And again, that's from the introduction of Working the Angles, which the introduction itself is worth the price of the book. It really is. So, it really um, is. What, are, what is a, a book or some books that Eugene has written um, that have shaped you? Mm. Is there one in particular that sticks out or one you'd recommend oh, to my, our listeners? My goodness. I mean, Working the Angles, definitely. But he did a trilogy of pastoral books and uh, they were working. Um, it was uh, five... Five smooth stones, three smooth stones. Five, yeah. Five smooth stones. Yeah. But that one really shaped uh, what it looks like for me just to be a pastor. I feel like the some of the 
and I can't think of just one off the top of my head at the moment, but because there's just so many different metaphors and images that he uses in that book that just really did a ton of soul work in me. Um, I also really enjoyed Eat This Book. Uh, yeah, I actually yeah. read that with a couple of folks from Renew. And I mean, you can't have a conversation about his writing without talking about a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a yearly read for me. And it continues to just keep me uh, moving in the right direction uh, over the long haul. So yeah, those, I mean, those three are just, they've been so, so good. Um, yeah. How about you? Yeah, I, I would, I would uh, agree with you on uh, long obedience in the same direction. Um, you know, it's actually a, a, a Nietzsche quote, which is fascinating. Um, <laughs> and a lot of his books were actually quotes from poems or things that he, he used as the titles of, for his books, long obedience in the same direction. I'd put right up there at the top, uh, under the unpredictable plant where he oh, works through yeah. Jonah, the book of Jonah. Yes. And every pastor should read that. That will be in our resource that we recommend to you, uh, to you all. And then also the pastor, uh, his not biography or memoir. He kind of was hesitant to that. He's a very humble man. He, but, but it, it it's memoir-ish in helping us really grasp what that uh, what that would look like to be a pastor in the old way, not in the innovative uh, new way of trying to get uh, n- new people in, like as he said, you know, the shopkeepers and working the angles. So those are the three that I would just highly recommend. I mean, there's not a bad one, you know, so <laughs> you can't go wrong. But I try to reread those regularly, but at least once a year. Just again, even though he's gone, his ministry isn't gone, to turn up the volume or to be reminded, oh, this is what we're after. This is why we do this. And so I just encourage you all, even if you've read some Eugene books, read some new ones, or if you've read them all, uh, reread. Uh, just great reminders uh, to wash over us uh, in that. And I, I do love the message. Uh, I don't use that as my primary you know, translation of choice, but I do love it as an alongside of, I mean, Carl Bart talked about, you know, we should uh, have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. In many ways, I often say you should have a primary translation in one hand and the message in the other because they really help uh, bring that in. So those are the ones that have just been incredibly helpful uh, for me. But um, but yeah, so we're, we're incredibly grateful for Eugene and the influence that he's had. And we just felt like this would be important to spend an episode reflecting on that, sharing some of his wisdom. And uh, if you all have some some memories of Eugene or some books that have have shaped you or some of uh, his concepts, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, and uh, we're just so grateful for him. I'm grateful for him. Um, sometimes I even catch myself tearing up a little bit just uh, with gratitude and and some and missing him. And Jan, Jan has since passed away too. Uh, she passed away shortly after he did, and they were lifelong friends. Uh, and not just marriage partners, but they, uh, they modeled what ministry is and should look like. Um, in, in fact, one time I asked Eugene, I said, so how do you live radically for Jesus in today's culture? And he said, love Jesus and be in one lifelong monogamous relationship in marriage. And I was like, What? Like, like, no, I said radical. He's like, yeah, that's radical that's in radical. our culture today. Wow. <laughs> that wow. was his answer. And he did it. He lived it. And he's radical. And that's why we still think and talk and, and, uh, and are just grateful for the ministry that he had. I'm not sure we'll have another Eugene Peterson, 
Uh, I mean, we won't, but I mean, a, another figure like that in our sort of fragmented ministry world today, I think he is a voice. We just won't see many voices like that uh, moving forward. But yeah, I don't, I can't think of anyone else in the history of the, where, where there was like the, the pastor to the pastors, Yeah, but, but across so many different denominational lines. Mm. I mean, he pastors everybody. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. The only one I could sort of think of is maybe a John Stott, mm. but, mm. um, you know, I mean, John, I mean, even in a UK context, but uh, certainly this side of the pond, uh, we were deeply impacted by him. Yeah. I think we'll be reading, just like we read C.S. Lewis now, and he was passed, I think we'll be reading 50, 60 years from now, maybe people, Dallas Willard, N.T. Wright, uh, and Eugene, that might be on the short list of people 50 years from now, will still be reading and finding relevant. Um so some of the most relevant things that he wrote, you think, oh, he wrote it last year. And you realize he wrote those like 25 yeah, years like ago. Like the 70s and 80s. It's like, wait, unbelievable <laughs> how they're maybe even more prescient and mm. more relevant today than they were yeah. when he wrote them. So anyway, he was prophetic and, and pastoral. And I think actually Bono described him as being poetic and prophetic as a pastor. And that's, I think that describes him pretty that's well. That's really good. So anyway, really it's been really fun. Thanks for letting me articulate yeah. a little bit more and reminisce. Thanks for sharing, JR. I feel like it's, I mean, when Eugene passed away, it it just felt like there was a tre a lot of joy, a lot of celebration of a life well lived, but just a tremor across uh, the whole country. The whole country. Yeah. Just the the impact of of this of this man who loved Jesus and really uh, stewarded his gifts to love the church well. Um, but I just really appreciate you sharing the stories and, and the letters and, um, yeah. And I, I think just a couple questions that we want to leave you with, and mm. that is, uh, you know, who, who are the people that have mentored you? And even as you think through that, it'd be great to write, write, write a little letter. You, even if they're gone, even yeah. if they passed away, just write a letter and just say, thanks. Uh, there's something really important with that. And then I think the second question is this, uh, who is, who is someone that you feel like you may be called to be mentoring in this season? Um, we all need to be Pauls and we all need to be Timothys. Um, and we want to leave you with this uh, as, as the blessing moving out of this conversation. And the biblical fact is that there are no successful churches. There are instead communities of sinners gathered before God week after week in towns and villages all over the world. The Holy Spirit gathers them and does his work in them. And it's in these communities of sinners. One of the sinners is called pastor and given a designated responsibility in the community. The pastor's responsibility is to keep the community attentive to God. 